You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everybody. And uh, if I have the chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just blessed to have you with us. And uh, before we jump into uh, our message this morning, I want to mention two things. One, uh, on your way out today, we're going to have these cards. It looks like this, and it says, Thank Tober. Uh, it's Thanktober, and what we're uh, doing is we're taking the next few weeks, the rest of this month, to appreciate our ministry staff, those that serve and lead here at Calvary, and uh, on that card is the list of everybody with just some information about them, and throughout the month, we're going to have baskets in the foyer, and uh, our goal is just to provide opportunity for you to say thank you. Uh, they've, in different ways, have made an impact in your life or in your child's life, and, and I think it's important to uh, appreciate, uh, not just take it for granted, uh, but to recognize, man, what an investment. So uh, we have an amazing staff here, and we're just so blessed. I get the incredible privilege to get to be part of that team, and uh, we wanna take the opportunity throughout this month to do that. So on your way out today, we'll have those cards. You can kind of see a little bit about uh, everyone and their families and uh, what they, uh, their interests are. And last thing, uh, in about a month, a little less than a month, uh, we have our fall baptisms. If you have taken the step to follow Jesus but have not been baptized. Uh, this is gonna be an incredible opportunity. The first Sunday of November, November 5th, I believe it is. Um, so uh, you can go to connect.calvaryone.com and click on events and sign up if you, uh, if you haven't done that yet. So today we're in the middle of a series uh, called Don't Be an Idiot. Don't Be an Idiot. Um, and you're like, what is this even about? We are talking about the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs says oftentimes, don't be a fool, and this is kind of our modern take on that, but uh, what kind of practical wisdom can we apply to our lives to, in a sense, idiot-proof our life? Uh, how about that? Now, I want you to think about today, uh, if you had a $1 bill, I know some people don't carry cash on you, but if you had a $1 bill, uh, back in 1930, this $1 bill could purchase you five gallons of gas. Let that land on you for a second. $1 right here, five gallons of gas. Think about that. Like, that's remarkable. In 1960, you could buy three and a half gallons of gas. Still pretty awesome. 1975, uh, you could buy almost two gallons of gas. Still not, not great, but still better. 1989, you could buy a whole gallon of gas right here. Uh, even more recently, when I went to college, I went to college in 2000. Um, I went to college in Missouri, and gas is cheaper in Missouri than it is in Pennsylvania. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And um, still, my freshman year of college, I could put uh, a gallon of gas in my car for a dollar. Uh, still at that point, thank goodness. Um, today, at least here in Pennsylvania, this dollar will get you a whopping one quarter of a gallon of gas. Um, you can drive from like here to North for sales uh, on this maybe, something like that, depending on your gas, I guess. Um, there is no doubt in our world that, the inc that, that uh, with inflation, the increased cost of gas, groceries, and practically everything else, a dollar like this uh, needs to go so much further, doesn't it? Like, we have to figure out how do we make this dollar work, and oftentimes we find ourselves with more month than we have money. Um, so, so our natural response in a, in a situation like this 
with this kind of a reality is we need to protect, preserve, and keep as much of those dollars for ourselves and for our needs as possible. We, we need more of that. But what if the goal, what if the goal for our money, what, what we've been entrusted with, what if the goal for our money wasn't to hoard it, but to use it? You, you see, how we approach so many things in our lives are shaped by how our world responds, doesn't it? Or how we've experienced in, in a lot of different areas, maybe in relationships or how we pursue our career, how we handle frustration in our life, and, and even how we manage our money are all things that we don't generally learn in a classroom. Like we don't just sit down and people tell us how to do that. But we pick those up from those around us, from societal norms that we observe, and even from the family that we grew up in. And today we're going to continue uh, this series that uh, we're going through the book of Proverbs called Don't Be an Idiot. Um, and and we're, we're looking at how can we avoid being a fool with this one kind of touchy subject. And as we jump in, I want to revisit one of the most well-known Proverbs uh, that, that talks about what, where we ultimately find understanding in our lives. Here's what it says. It's, it's, it's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You may have heard this, I'm sure, before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I want to read that one more time. Think about this. This, this is such a countercultural concept because we are told to trust our understanding. Be true to ourselves. Whatever you think is right or true is right or true to you. And that works. And the author of Proverbs is saying, actually don't trust in your understanding. Don't trust in your perception or process or how you inter- in, uh, uh, perceive something. He says, listen, this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him. And what's the result? He will make your paths straight. It's important to start with this verse because what we're going to tackle today has one really common approach throughout our world but when we, what we read in Scripture, and especially in Proverbs, provides really an entirely different understanding of it. And just for these few moments that we have together today, I want to ask you to hold your personal understanding of this pro, uh, approach uh, on this topic a little loosely. Like, hold it loose. I'm not asking you to give up your understanding right now, but to just consider that there may be another way, possibly even a better way than what you've understood already. So, so what I want to talk to you about is, is this taboo topic in society. It's a topic that, that is taboo but really affects everybody. It's the topic of money. Uh, it, it's, it's so confusing for some, and some seem to just figure it out quicker. And, and following the idea of this series, I want to ask this question. How can I not be an idiot with my money? How can I not be an idiot with money? Now, some of you are rolling your eyes because you're like, man, this is all the church talks about is money and, and they're always asking for money and they just want more money. So let me, let me just be upfront with you today. We're going to talk about some incredibly, somewhat countercultural wisdom in how we approach money, but I'm not gonna beg you, I'm not gonna ask you, I'm not gonna try to manipulate you into giving money to this church. This isn't a ploy to get your money. Rather, I think it's an important conversation about something that really affects every single one of us in some way. And and to be honest, it's something that most people get wrong. And and here's the big idea I wanna share with you today that's maybe uh, sounds a little out of the box, 
but it is deeply rooted and grounded in the wisdom of this biblical book we call Proverbs. Here's that simple idea. It's that my money isn't just for me, but it's for more than me. My money isn't just for me, it's for more than me. What does that mean exactly? It's this concept. What you earn, what sits in your bank account, what you have the ability to spend with the stroke of a pen or the click of a button, isn't ultimately for you. I know that flies in the face of the American ideal, that we pursue happiness, whatever the cost. And maybe you've heard the famous quote from 1987 movie, Wall Street by Gordon Gecko, where he said, greed is good. Maybe you've heard that statement before. Our understanding of money is really shaped by so many things in our culture and what we're told, our, our society, the media we watch or consume, the friends we keep, all of those things inform our understanding of money. But the wisdom we see in the book of Proverbs throughout the Bible can seem to contradict these cultural norms regarding money because it says those things say that greed actually is not good. It's not good at all. In fact, the Bible teaches that greed, not only is it not good, it can be one of the most destructive tools any human being can possess. The greed isn't just not good, it's destructive. Much like fire with the right approach, fire can be very beneficial and life-giving tool. When approached in the wrong way, it can be deadly and destructive. In the same way, greed and money and how we handle it can be incredibly productive and beneficial. But if handled in the wrong way, it can be deadly and destructive. This is what the Apostle Paul cautioned young Timothy with regarding money in his first letter to him. It's recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. He said this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, so in other words, some people longing for more have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, have, have inflicted wounds upon themselves in pursuit of more. But, but uh, so if we are to follow what Proverbs 3 says that, and, and trust in God and consequently not lean on our own understanding, the question is, what is the out of the ordinary understanding of money that is talked about in Proverbs? And it's summed up in this simple idea that I mentioned. My money isn't just for me, but it's for more than me. And, and, and the first thing that is important to grasp about Scripture's approach and understanding of money is that money is not evil. Money's not evil. Paul said the love of money is the root or cause of all kinds of evil. But money itself is not evil. In other words, when money is the priority, the end goal, the ultimate pursuit, the source of our happiness or joy, we will find ourselves running into ruin. I've shared this before, but money isn't the goal. Money is just a toll. It's not the goal. It's not our end pursuit. It is just a toll that God entrusts us with to do things and because of that, when money becomes the goal, it plays a part in our lives that was never meant to play. It's a dangerous part to play in our lives. You see, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy just as there's nothing more spiritual than being poor. Money or the amount of money isn't the determining factor. It's what we ultimately do with it, that it which is determined by our goal or our approach to it. Listen to this statement in Proverbs that explains what a healthy relationship with money can look like. It's in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23. It says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So the author of Proverbs is talking about like our effort, our work can produce something, profit. Verse 24, the wealth of the wise 
is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. What does that mean? That, that when we work hard for what we have, we pr- it produces something, it's a crown, it's something that we can be proud of. But the folly of fools yields even more folly. What we see here is that money isn't bad, but the result of hard work, of diligence, and of an intentional effort. As followers of Jesus, as people who carry the name of Jesus, we should work hard. We should be diligent. It's healthy and right for us to gather money that we have worked hard for. We aren't to be lazy people, just sitting back and waiting for God's blessing to magically come to us. We work for what we earn, but we don't work for what we earn to get more money because money is just a toll. And while God's intent for us isn't to be rich, he's also not intending that we be poor. Instead, his intent is that we would be mature. His intent isn't to to, to make us all wealthy and rich, wealthier than we've ever known before. His intent isn't that we give everything away and become poorer than we've ever known before. His intent and hope is that we could become mature. That's the goal that God has for us. And what's fascinating about how we approach money is that it is often one of the clearest gauges or indicators of where we are on that path or pursuit of maturity. How we handle money, how we respond to money, our relationship with money. You see, maturity isn't determined by how much money we have, but how much money has us. Your maturity isn't based on like, well, I've accumulated a lot, so I must be more mature. Not necessarily. How much does your money have you? When we release the grip that money can have on us, which that grip is something that the human race has wrestled with from our beginning. When you can let go of that grip, we experience this unique sense of freedom that, 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 is, that is not experienced any other way. As, as you'll see, Proverbs doesn't teach and God doesn't intend that we give everything away and live as beggars but rather that we experience this paradox with money. The paradox is that we will find more value in our money when it's going somewhere and doing something as opposed to simply gathering it and hoarding it all for ourselves. And, and, and today, just in our brief moment together, I wanna to share three, three healthy expressions or actions that we can adopt with our money that we see talked about throughout the book of Proverbs. These are three ways, in a sense, to idiot-proof our approach to money. The first, first one is this. The generous will gain more than they give. The generous will gain more than they give. And in Proverbs eleven twenty five, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be themselves refreshed. Or, or a few chapters later, in chapter 22, verse 9, it says, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they will share their food with the poor. With, with a, a, a generous approach, and I think this is something that is uh, so important that we don't just exist to hoard, but we give, exist to give. We talk about we're blessed, that we can be a blessing. With a generous approach, the question can be, how do we gauge our generosity? Like, what is the imaginary line that we cross where you can define what we're doing as generous? Because that could be really subjective. Like, to one person, maybe it's just uh, giving one dollar Away. Maybe to another, it's giving $1,000 away. What is, that, what is that line? Well, in, in the Bible, in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the beginning and the end of the Bible, there's this starting point for generosity that's referred to as tithing. Now, tithing is this ancient practice of giving your first 10% back to God. It's not meant to be a matter of religious practice, but a rhythm 
that ultimately keeps your priorities in check. Now that sound, might sound like the craziest, most outlandish thing you could ever hear. But this is something we've seen followers of Jesus, people of God, practicing from the beginning. Saying, God, I'm gonna entrust to you the first 10% of what I've earned of my best. I'm gonna give you my first and my best and I'm gonna trust that you will bless the rest. The person that ties is less likely to be a person whose money has them because they're making an upfront decision to put God first, even with their money, even with this touchy concept of their money. I'm not saying tithing is the only mark of generosity. It's a starting point, the first rung on the ladder to becoming more generous. Maybe for you, you're like, well, that's a big jump. Well, start somewhere. Maybe it's saying, God, I'm gonna trust you with my first 1%. God, I'm gonna trust you with my first 5%. It's recognizing and saying, I'm gonna hold myself to a standard, to hold myself accountable. If you were trying to get in shape and you're like, my goal is just to be able to run really well. I wanna be a good runner. Well, what does that even mean? I wanna run well. Does that mean like you can run from here to your mailbox and like you're good? I am a really good runner. You take a picture every morning with your sweatband on, your sweatsuit on, you run to the mailbox and you run back and you take another picture and say, wow, what a workout. I am exhausted. I'm so glad I'm getting in shape. Is that your gauge of what? No, you set a standard. You say, you know what? I think I wanna try to run to the end of the block and back. And you work at that. Depending on how long your block is, you know, that might be difficult or easy. Or, or you might say, you know what? I wanna run half a mile in under 30 minutes. And you like walk your way through that half a mile and you make it under 30 minutes. You're like, good. And then you're like, I wanna try to run half a mile in under 15 minutes. What do you do? You're setting yourself a standard to hold yourself accountable. And, and when it comes to being generous, if, if it's just a matter of subjective idea of like I'm being generous, uh, what, what are you actually doing? Are you actually progressing? Are you maturing? But, but the idea of maturing is setting a standard, setting a gauge that you can hold yourself accountable to. Whatever that gauge might be. The Bible talks about a tithe, 10%. Maybe that's a big jump for you. Start, hey, I wanna try to give five, or, 1% or I wanna to try to give $50 to God regularly, whatever that might be. It's, it's setting yourself a standard, holding yourself accountable to that because God's goal isn't, isn't to, to, to make you super prosperous so that you're super rich. No, his goal is that you would become mature and money is one of those areas that God can help us grow and mature. Generosity is important because my money isn't just for me, it's for more than me. And when we can see that our money exists for more than just me, we'll find that it's more, than just, it's more than just helping strangers in need. But what you earn, what you accumulate, is placed in your hands to also be a blessing to the generations that will follow you. And, and while we see throughout Proverbs the importance of being generous with our money, there's another half of this, which is being diligent with our money, not just being generous. You see, let's not just plan to be generous, but let's plan to be faithful as well. Here's what Proverbs says in chapter 13, verse 11. It says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. I love, that was the NIV. I love what the New Living Translation says. It's translation of this verse. It says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. This might not be a popular idea, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone. But one of, one of the struggles in our culture today is we get this idea that we can get rich quick. 
if I just buy 100 more lottery tickets, like, I'm, I might hit it. And the rest of my life, my family's life is set. If I could, if I could just get a little bit more here. And we, 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 we pursue these get-rich-quick schemes. What, what Proverbs is saying here is, put your effort and energy towards something that will produce constant, consistent wealth, revenue for you. Don't put your hope in those things. Put your hope in God. And not saying like the lottery is evil or anything like that. I mean, if you hit the Powerball, remember to tithe, you know, that 10%, uh, all of that good stuff. But I'm not saying that, that, that you're an evil person if you do that. I'm saying when your hope, when your hope is in some scheme, some, uh, uh, you know, other uh, gambling or, or, or lottery thing, like your hope isn't where it should be. Like, if we believe that God still has the whole world in his hands, we need to trust him and trust his way. This is what Proverbs says. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears because you're paying money every week for something that you're not seeing a return on. Wealth from hard work, now that grows over time. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, we read this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Listen to this in verse 7. It has no commander no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food for harvest. When we are smart and diligent with what we earn, we store it away. Investing your money for the future is saying, I wanna prioritize my future and the future of those I love more than my immediate pleasure. How do you do that? Seek the wisdom of wise counsel. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. What does that mean? That means, man, if you're, you're trying to figure out how do I plan for my future? How do I invest? How, how do I do this right? Grab coffee with a friend that you know does this well. Not just the one who like talks that they do it well, but the one that you know actually does this well. Grab coffee with them and ask them, hey, what, what, what did you do? What can I learn from you? What, what, what can I glean? Or, or maybe schedule an appointment with a professional that can give you some insight to plan for your future. Remember, none of this is dependent on how much you have or don't have. It's making the most with what you do have. The first, first idea is the generous will gain more than they give. The second here is prioritizing your future positions your family to follow in your footsteps. We live in a consumer, I need it all now kind of approach to the world. But when we can prioritize our future, it positions those that are follow behind us, whether you have kids or not, those that follow behind us, to be able to follow in our footsteps. You see, when, when you take intentional steps to keep your priorities in check, as opposed to making impulsive decisions with the money you've earned and you've been entrusted with, you'll find you can multiply your money, which impacts more than just you right now. Just because you don't have the big flat screen TV or the fancy car or whatever, doesn't mean you're not making good decisions. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You clicking buy on Amazon 10 times a day leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent. You disciplining yourself and saying, I'm going to to put this amount aside for my future because my future is just as important as my present. The generations that follow behind me 
are just as important as my life. I wanna make sure I have something to leave. You might think, well, I don't make a lot of money. It's not about how much you make, it's about what you do with what you have. According to Charles Schwab's 2021 Modern Wealth Survey, only 33% of Americans have a financial plan. If you're not good with math, that means that 67%, that's two thirds, have absolutely no financial plan, Americans. We live in the wealthiest country in the world. All of us here today are wealthier than at least 95% of the known world. I'm not saying that like arrogantly, I'm just saying you're here, you've probably had coffee or something to drink, a liquid this morning, you have clothes and a roof over your head, You've checked boxes that there are good portions of the world couldn't even think about checking. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. We are so blessed. And two-thirds of us have no plan what we're doing. We're just consuming. Our plan is use what I've got until that little number on the bank account says zero. 42% of those who have no plan said that they don't have a plan because they don't have enough money to need a plan. 19% said they don't have enough time to make a plan. 22% said it seems too complicated to make a plan. If we don't have a plan, I mean, the saying goes, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. God has entrusted us with resources, with money, not to consume, because it's, remember, it's not the goal, it's just a toll, Not to consume, but if we can have a plan, if we can be wise with how we handle this, think about how the church could be in a different place. Just think about this for a picture, just as a kind of a side note. You know, our economy, not the greatest right now, right? Uh, There are times throughout history, American history and human history, where economies have crashed and things have gone poorly. What if the people of God are so wise with their resources that their wealth or their money isn't dependent solely on the economy. Meaning, we're not living paycheck to paycheck, but we've been wise, we've followed biblical principles, and we'll talk, we'll talk about some more of those, and, and we've invested, and we've, we've given generously, and we've saved, and we've done those things. Think about how different of a place the church followers of Jesus would be when things go south. When we, when we run after the God of more, when we fall prey to the lies of our culture that it's about status and substance and consuming, we get what that produces. We made our bed and we have to lie in it. But God has another way. That's what we're talking about. He has another way. This is why most Americans fail in how they use this important tool of money. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not trying to act like I am one, so I'm not gonna go into all the details of this. I'm gonna give you the high-level thoughts. That's, for, I think, more important for you or a financial advisor to contextualize what it looks like for you, but it's important, very important, that you have a structure, an approach, a plan. You have something in place. Without a plan, our default approach to money is always going to be consume leverage and maximize what we have ultimately for our own benefit. The author of the most, most of the Proverbs, if you don't know this, was King Solomon. And he would use this approach of consuming and gathering as much as he could for himself for most of his life. 
Consequently, Solomon would become one of the wealthiest men in human history. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> like, man, I want that. Well, in that approach, in that pursuit, he discovered how meaningless and empty the pursuit of more had become. In another book that he wrote, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter two, verse 10, he said this, he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. What's he saying? I pursued happiness with all that I got and I had so much of it. I had so much money and wealth. And then in verse 11, he said, yet, after he gathered all of this, he, he had more money and wealth. He had everything he could have ever asked for. He had like 10 Bugattis and six Lamborghinis. Like he had it all. He had everything he wanted. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, do you see what it says there? Meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He had achieved it. And he said, everything's meaningless. What we read in Proverbs, as Pastor Lance mentioned last week, is uh, uh, these, these words of wisdom that are essentially best practices, the ideal approach to practical issues that we face in regular life. I'm so thankful that this book, the Bible, isn't some uh, uh, theoretical book, that it's not just some super spiritual, high out there book that has concepts that are abstract. No, it's very practical for our lives. It's a guide for even things as practical as how we manage our money. And when it comes to money, the wisdom Solomon shares in the book of Proverbs is more than just best wishes or hopes for us. They are things that he learned often the hard way or things that he observed the consequences of. And what he's communicating is that my money isn't just for me, but it's for more than me. That the money you have in your bank account, the money you've earned and worked hard for, isn't just for you, it's for more than you. Planning for your future and your family's future is such a big part of this, being willing to, to make the pre-decision, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit right now for more later. I'm going to sacrifice something I want now so that my family has something in the future. But then we get to the final healthy expression of, of how we interact with money that we see in Proverbs. And it's not just planning for our future, it's planning for our present. The third kind of idea here is when you live within your means, your money can do so much more. Maybe you've had that experience where you're like, man, if I just had a little bit more money, I could do a little bit more. When you live beneath your means and within your means, you'll find your money actually does more. Planning for your present means seeing your money as something to be used, not to be leveraged. We live at a time in history where debt has become normal, acceptable, and about as common as drinking water. But Proverbs shares this countercultural thought in Proverbs 22, seven, it says, the rich roll over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Do you know that there are hundreds of thousands of Americans today still bound by slavery because they're slave to a lender? And, and when you're slave to a lender, you don't have control over your own money. A few verses later in, in, in verse 26 of Proverbs 22, it says, do not be one who shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. If you don't have the money to buy something, it's a really simple idea, don't buy it. Don't buy it. To use your money as opposed to leverage it for debt 
means that we have to approach purchases and expenses from an entirely different perspective. I love what Dave Ramsey often says. He says, if you can say no for a little while, you can say yes for the rest of your life. Can we practice that? Can you say no? The count of three, we'll, we'll just try it once. Can, you, can we do that? One, two, three. Man, you guys are so good at it. If you have kids, I know, you say that all the time to your kids, right? You need to learn to look in the mirror sometimes and say it to yourself. I know I really like that outfit or that TV or that couch or that whatever, you fill in the blank. But sometimes we need to say no for a little while. Live within our means. You have to differentiate between needs and wants. There may be things you could technically do or purchase or get with the help of leveraging your money on credit that you don't need. You know, I've done a lot of weddings and I talk to couples all the time as we're walking through the process to prepare for their wedding. And, and there are so many couples that will go into debt, $30,000, $40,000 for their wedding day, for their honeymoon. And it's such a difficult thing to do because one of the most contentious conversations a husband and wife have is over money. And you're starting this whole new journey of being a husband and wife of a married couple in the hole. You know what? You know what says I love you better than anything? A monthly payment to pay off $40,000. Like, man, that says, don't, don't start there. Just because you can and it's possible doesn't necessarily mean it's wise to do. When you allow debt to be dominant in your life, the first two healthy expressions that we talked about become difficult and sometimes even impossible because you no longer have control over your own money. Your, your lender now gets to tell your money where to go. And, and if you could sum up this idea of uh, my money is just not for me, but it's for more than me, it's this. God has entrusted you with resources so that you have free will and choice over them. And when you leverage what you have for debt, you relinquish control. You say, to, hey, I'm gonna put someone else in the driver's seat with my resources, with my money. I can't be generous anymore. I can't save for the future because everything I've got is going towards that. This is why Proverbs talks so much about having a plan. Those that are idiots, so to speak, with their money or, or those that are careless with their money are impulsive and find themselves barely making it day by day, week by week. But God has called us to be mature, wise, and intentional. In order to do that, that requires a plan. Now here, as we kind of wrap up here today, here's a simple plan that we see described in different ways throughout Proverbs and the entirety of scripture. This is a really simple, basic plan. You probably don't even have to write this down. You can remember this. First 10% goes to God. Next 10% goes to your future. Live off the rest, don't leverage the rest. You might be like, well, Nick, what are you talking about? Can I tell you personally, this is something that my family, we practice and we've practiced for a long time. First 10% goes to God. We push the next 10% into uh, our investment or retirement or life insurance, something along those lines for our future. And we live off the rest. We don't leverage the rest. We don't say, well, I'm just gonna be in debt the rest of my life. I might as well just accept it now. No, we live off the rest. You live within your means. And here's my challenge to you today as we talk about not being an idiot with your money. If you don't have a plan, here's a simple action. Put a plan together. Establish a clear budget that you can stick to. You're like, how do I do a budget? I don't even know how to. 
Well, I got something for you. On the screen, we have a QR code. If you, if you can leave it up for a minute. You can scan that, get a digital copy. That's a, that's a, 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 it's a budget worksheet. If you're like, I don't do digital, we have them at the Connection Center. You can just grab one. It's a really simple, quick start uh, budget plan. Put a plan together. At least know what you're doing. If you're going to spend yourself into oblivion, at least do it with your eyes open. So you at least know you're gonna run into that wall or over that cliff. It's worse when you don't even know what's happening and it just comes on you. Have a plan, start there. Discover where your money is going. That alone can be so good for you. Then you'll know the changes or adjustments that need to happen. Make your priorities and build your plan from those priorities rather than vice versa. You set what your priorities are financially. Then build your budget, your plan off of that. This isn't a get rich quick scheme. This isn't like five steps to be wealthy. This isn't a give all your money to the church scheme either. Like we need more of your money. No, this is a make the most of what you've been given an approach. Like God has entrusted you to make the most of it. It's because my money isn't just for me. It's for more than me. The money you have been entrusted with isn't just for you. It's for more than you. We are called to be people who are so incredibly generous. When you go out to eat, don't be the one that like looks at like how little can I give this person a tip and they don't hate me. Why, why not say, God, I wanna be generous to this person that has served me. When you, you see a, a need that presents itself, be that person that's generous. Be that person that is, says, you know what, I don't wanna be so cynical that I'm like, well that person's probably gonna misuse this. I'm not gonna give them anything. Let's be the people who are generous and we are known for our generosity. Let's be people that our family uh, is a priority for them. People who invest and put some aside because we wanna make sure that those that follow us can follow in our footsteps. Not that our children, grandchildren, or whoever is in your family that falls behind you is going to be a millionaire, but that they recognize that you made them a priority throughout your life consistently. And the third, that we can prioritize today as well, that we live within our means. You can't be generous if you're not living within your means. You can't invest for your future if you're not living within your means. Like it doesn't happen. You will run yourself into bankruptcy. The principles that we read in scripture have that goal, not to make you rich and not to make you poor, the principles in scripture that we read in Proverbs is to help you become more and more mature. You can grow, you can get healthier and stronger and that your relationship with money isn't a love-hate relationship. It's a, it's a relationship of appreciation. God, thank you for entrusting this to me that I get to have control over and make the most of and bless people and bless my family in the future and take care of my needs today. So often we shake our fists at our paychecks because we just wish there were a little bit more. Let's take a step back and say, God, how can I make the most with what I've been given? This, this week we're talking about money and I know it's so uncomfortable and you're like, man, why do we even have to talk about this? Money is very practical and I know it's uncomfortable. But the Bible talks about it because it's a very spiritual thing. As I mentioned earlier, it's a gauge it's such a clear gauge of how we interact with money and resources. It's such an indicator on how we are growing. 
And like I said, it's not about how much we have, it's about how much has us. And, and as we prepare to close today, we're not gonna have a, a worship team come up, we're not gonna sing a song, we're not, we're not gonna do any of that. We wanna have a simple prayer. A prayer of God, open my eyes. Not open my eyes so I can be more prosperous. Not, not Lord, give me a big boat. God, bless me with that big house. God, God, make me wealthy and prosperous beyond what I know. That's not, that's not our prayer today. Our prayer is, God, give me the resources that you desire I have and help me be a good steward of them. Help me make the most of them. That I can be generous, that I can invest in my future, and that I can make the most of where I am right now. That's what God asks of us. That's what God expects of us. And more importantly, like, that's how God wired us. Us, us trying to consume more and more, as the American dream would say, isn't healthy and it's not sustainable. But let's follow what God says and recognize that money isn't for me. My money isn't for me. It's for more than me. Let's pray this morning before we go. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of us in this room, those watching online. God, we are so blessed. Lord, some of us who are watching online, we're watching on devices and computers and TVs that sometimes cost more than individuals around the world would make in a month. God, I'm so grateful for what you have blessed us with, but God, I pray you would help us to have our eyes opened today. God, that we would have our eyes open, Lord, to the relationship, a healthy relationship we can have with our money and resources. God, that we can make the hard decisions to say no for a little while so we can say yes the rest of our lives. God, that we can recognize the generous heart that you're cultivating in us. Lord, that we would hold ourselves to standards. Lord, that we would have a plan that, that the generations that follow us can follow in our footsteps because we've planned for it. That, that we can live within our means and not leverage what we've been given. God, I pray as we leave this place, as we go our separate ways and go to work and home, Lord, that we would begin to cultivate a relationship with money in a healthy way. And God, that we would garner a reputation in our world as not being those stingy people, but as being those who are generous, who have a generous heart and have planned for that generosity. God, I thank you for how you're using us. God, I thank you for the impact we're able to make across this world as a church collectively. I thank you, Lord, for the impact we're able to make individually. Lord, ways that no one's ever seen. Lord, the, those times that we've helped out a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a friend, that no one will ever see. It will never end up on a screen or in a newsletter or, or a magazine. God, you see those acts of generosity and you honor them and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray you would help us to be people who recognize the incredibly spiritual nature of our money, that we can be generous wherever we go that we can be planned for the future and that we can be living within our means today. God, go with us and strengthen us. Give us wisdom. Give us awareness. And God, let us walk in your provision and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. 
You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.